working on the Summer Jobs Plus Initiative and Recreation and Park Department Summer Programming Updates for Youth and Children as sponsored by you, Supervisor. Thank you. And actually, this hearing request did uh, come specifically last year from Commissioner uh, Mendoza and this year from Commissioner President uh, Fewer. We had originally called for this hearing last year on the Summer Jobs Plus initiative, and we wanted to broaden the scope of the hearing this year to get an understanding of all the options available to our youth here in San Francisco during the summer, which is a time that we see the biggest challenges, not just in terms of funding impactful youth programming, but also a time when we find that youth struggle with learning retention during their school break. Today's presentation will cover SFUSD's summer school programming, the recreational program opportunities for our youth through Rec and Park, as well as our Summer Jobs Plus initiative now in its second year, in its third year. And so we do have um, DCYF, uh, the Mayor's Office of Workforce and Economic Development, Rec and Park Department, as well as SFUSD here. And so I want to bring up our first presenter. Uh, we have uh, Laura Moyer, Dep Deputy Director of Department of Children, Youth, and Their Families. And we have now been joined by Supervisor Norman Yee. Thank you for joining us. I also understand that Glenn Eagleson is here as well. Um, and we'll be presenting instead of um, Director Moyer. Let me just pull up my presentation. And um, I do have copies of the handouts for members of the board and commission. So good afternoon, um, commissioners and supervisors. My name is Glenn Eagleson. I'm with the Department of Children, Youth, and Their Family. I'm going to start by giving you um, an overview of some of DCYF's youth workforce development programs, talk a little bit about our work with the city, um, and then go into um, the start of our Summer Jobs Plus initiative and bring up some of our other partners. For DCYF, excuse me. There we go. Um, for DCYF, we have seven youth workforce development strategies that um, encompass both our year-round and our summer opportunities. DCYF invests roughly uh, $11 million in those initiatives to serve young people between the ages of 13 to 21. All of our programs are actually year-round initiatives, but we do ask them to have um, specific summer strategies. So I'll quickly go over the um, seven strategies. The first is career awareness, which is a new initiative for us starting with our last funding cycle, and that's for young people 13 to 17. It's aimed at giving an introduction to the world of work and an introduction to career exploration for young people. Um, it's, we're currently funding four organizations to do that, and our target are young people who don't have work experience, who are just entering into the, um, the arena with traditional barriers to employment. Our second is MAIP, the Mayor's Youth Employment and Education Program. I know many of you are familiar with this. It's a, the city's largest um, youth workforce program. Uh, during the school year, the program focuses on 
ninth uh, and 10th graders, but during the summer we expand the ages up through the age of 17. JCYC, the Japanese Community Youth Council, is the lead agency, and then they work with nine neighborhood-based organizations and one organization that works with um, young people citywide with disabilities. The uh, third initiative is YouthWorks, which is a city internship and uh, mentorship program for San Francisco young people. Um, this program works with 11th and 12th graders. Um, young people have opportunities both during the school year and during the summer. And again, JCYC is the lead agency for that initiative. The fourth is what we call just our general youth workforce development strategies. Um, this is a range of programs um, from kind of small programs serving um, uh, 15 to 20 youth up to you know, some larger programs. We fund 20 organizations throughout the city and the target um, population for these strategies are also young people who might have traditional barriers to employment, young people involved in public systems, young people with limited English proficiency, um, young people who are not on track to graduate. The next is high school partnerships. Um, this is a partnership that we have with the school district. It's uh, working at three of the schools that we felt that, um, has the most need that didn't have um, the most uh, career technical education programming. So DCYF partnered with the district to help design something to support that. We're providing services at downtown Ida B. Wells and John O'Connell high schools. Jewish vocational services serve as the lead for that initiative. And again, we're targeting students who are either under credit or at risk of um, not graduating. The next is our youth workforce development strategy for justice-involved young people. Again, this is a new, um, more targeted initiative that we started during this last funding cycle. It's for young people 14 to 21 who are involved either with the juvenile or the adult justice system or who come in touch with the system through CARC. Um, we start with the um, Occupational Training and Therapy Program, which works with both of those two city departments that does, um, based on referrals that they get from probation officers, they do a vocational assessment of young people coming in to figure out what the best need and match is for them. And then OTTP then refers them either to one of the seven programs that we fund or to other opportunities that might be available in the city that might be a better match for them. I'm sorry, what does OTTP stand for? It's the Occupational Training and Therapy Program. And that's also done in partnership with the Department of Public Health. And then our final strategy is uh, creating and managing private sector opportunities. This is actually our year-round um, strategy to engage with the private sector. We've contracted with the United Way of the Bay Area to help uh, manage this initiative. Uh, the target audience are young people 16 to 21, with the priority for young people that are exiting publicly funded um, youth workforce programs, so either programs that we fund, programs that other city departments might fund, or young people um, exiting through uh, school district um, readiness programs. Um, the, we have a school year partnership with the um, San Francisco Unified School District that is being developed to expand work-based learning opportunities for young people, so how to bring more employers into the classroom on a more regular basis for things like job shadows, guest speakers, um, career awareness activities, et cetera. And then the largest part of the effort is our Summer Jobs Plus initiative. And so that's the effort that United Way helps to manage with us and, um, and our partners. Before I go into, um, are there any questions about any of those strategies right now? Okay. 
One of the things we did want to mention is we were really fortunate this year is we were selected um, as one of five cities uh, nationwide to receive funding from the City Foundation and Cities for Financial Empowerment for a new initiative that City Foundation has launched um, to look at summer youth employment programs and financial empowerment for young people. Uh, we received a $478,000 grant um, aimed at uh, providing three years of funding. It's $478,000 uh, for each of the years. We're partnering on that initiative with the Office of the Treasurer and Tax Collector's Office of Financial Empowerment. Um, the program has two components. One is a summer work experience program. So with this funding, we're able to provide an additional 1,000, or excuse me, 200 opportunities uh, for young people this summer. We're um, targeting that towards two different groups for f expanding the number of 14 to 17 year olds that the MAIP program is able to serve and then also targeting uh, 18 to 24 year olds who will be served through CHOC, uh, Communities in Harmony for Advocating Learning in Kids or something like that. Um, and that initiative for the 18 to 24 year olds is um, targeting young people in public housing and young people who don't have right to work documents. Uh, the other partner in that initiative is Mission SF. They're going to be leading up the research component. So the first year of the initiative, um, City Foundation is interested in taking a look at what are the financial empowerment strategies, uh, what are the banking strategies that young people use, and what are cur what's currently in place with some of our youth employment programs. And then during the second and third year, they'll take that information to expand some of the, the tools and the strategies and the resources for um, community-based providers to help provide more financial empowerment um, resources for young people. And then finally, I wanted to mention um, one of the things that we've been doing for the last three years um, as a part of the Summer Jobs Initiative is to survey both city departments and community-based organizations on what are the available opportunities for young people in either training or employment. Um, we do uh, surveys of every city department and all of the CBOs that serve young people in the city, not just those that we fund, but citywide. And we want to find information about three different areas, what programs are available for young people 14 to 24, what direct hires do either community-based organizations or city departments do, so hiring, um, you might be hiring summer counselors or staff um, for someone up to the age of 24. And then finally, uh, which of the city departments can serve as work sites for other programs such as YouthWorks? Last year, we found that uh, there were 53 city departments that either funded, operated, or served as a work site for, um, for our, our summer programming. This year, what we're trying to do um, in an effort to get the information out to young people about what are the available opportunities is we're creating a page on the DCYF website that will be um, this year will be an opportunity for young people to find out about all the different training programs and employment programs, uh, who's the um, eligible for the programs, what the start and stop dates are, and what the application process is. And then moving forward, we hope to create a more searchable directory that we would be able to then pull in some of the other information about other city programs that are funded. Before I move on to the Summer Jobs Plus, do you have any questions about the DCUF strategies? Supervisor Norman Yee. Um, thank you. Um, I'm not too sure you actually mentioned the number of um, youth 
all these programs are serving? So in, I, I don't have the exact numbers for this year. Um, last year we were able to serve um, well over 2,000 young people. Um, through our strategies, I can get you the exact number. A part of that was we were able to get some supplemental funding to help expand some of our programs, particularly um, MyEP and YouthWorks. And, and the 2,000 you're talking about, most of them would have had some um, employment opportunity? Yes, uh, thank you. Uh, that's one of the things I forgot to mention. So um, aside from the career awareness um, strategy, which is really just more um, kind of workshop and career awareness activities for young people. All of the strategies, the other strategies that I mentioned um, in our youth workforce portfolio, all must have a paid um, work experience component to it. So either a work experience, um, an internship, or an extended job shadow. Um, I would be interested in knowing the numbers for um the uh, John O'Connell and Ida B. Wells? So in that strategy, um, mm -hmm. there are three levels of work that are being done. The first is some core and more intensive work with 25 students at each of the schools, um, and that includes both some um, counseling, workshop training, and then a, a paid uh, work experience or internship. The second level is general career counseling that's available to um, all the students in the school. So um, students can come and get um, um, advice on what programs are available, get referrals, and get information on resources. And then the third level is really more of a uh, systems change strategy, working with the schools around whatever their um, kind of system goals are and figuring out how um, youth workforce programs can help to support that. So it could be things around like um, curriculum alignment, for example. Um, this is probably a comment more than a question, and it's probably directed towards the school board members here. Um, I'm wondering if this strategy could be expanded for um, O'Connell, in terms of um, being able to um, involve even a greater number than 25 that would be um, would have internships or um, um, possibilities, and to possibly use that as a marketing tool for O'Connell, because I know I, unless it's changed recently, I know uh, a few years ago the school had difficulty um, uh, convincing uh, potential students to, to actually enroll there. So if, they, if we can market it in a, in a very different way, maybe it could change the climate. Sharon um, from the school district, would you like to respond to this? Sharon Zimmerman, and I'm the Supervisor of College and Career Readiness for San Francisco Unified School District, and I oversee the CTE programs, Career and Technical Education programs. And at John O'Connell, they have three. <clears throat> they have a Building Construction, Energy and Utilities, and a Hospitality program. All of those students are also uh, receiving uh, career and technical education support services from my office, including internships and including two-year uh, career and technical education programs in that industry sector, 50% of the class is, is career awareness. So all of the students at John O'Connell are receiving career awareness. 25% of them are receiving a more intensive mentoring through DCYF's um, uh, partnership with JBS. 
Great. Um, any other questions or comments from board members? Um, seeing none, I, I just, I, I actually have the same questions as Supervisor Yee. I was curious as to how many students are in the high school partnership program. Um, but I think in general for the presentations, it would be great to get a sense of um, the past couple of years, um, the demographics of the youth that are served in the programs. And then also, um, I think some of these programs have been around long enough that we can do a long longitudinal assessment of the success of these programs in the long term for students and their future employment or college um, readiness. Um, and so it would be great to hear. I mean, we've been doing this for quite a while. I know Summer Jobs Plus is a newer program. But, you know, are we funding the right things? Are we actually providing the right types of trainings and experiences that are really helping young San Francisco residents succeed in our city? I don't know if you have some perspectives to share that's not in the PowerPoint presentation related to um, these questions. Well, I could say that um, for both our youth workforce general strategies um, and also our justice-involved strategies, and uh, we're going through a... a an evaluation component right now, so maybe at a later date we could come back and present to you the findings from those uh, strategies. That would be great. Thank you. And are you doing the next presentation as well? I'm doing the next one as well. So great. And I just want to recognize that we do have Eric McDonald from United Way here, as, uh, along with Matt Poland from uh, Matchbridge Program. Yes, uh, Commissioner Fewer. I, I apologize. I, should, I didn't realize that more names had popped up on the screen. Uh, Commissioner Fewer and then Commissioner Wins before we move on to our next presentation. Uh, thank you, Supervisor. I just have a question about the high school partnership. So as you do this work with these students who are under credit and at risk of not graduating, are they able to get any um, school credit for this toward their high school graduation? I'm going to ask uh, Sharon Zimmer to respond. Hi, um, Sharon Zimmern again from the school district, College and Career Readiness. We are currently putting on the summer school deck uh, courses that are associated with the CTE programs under whatever industry sector they're studying under lab and depending on how many hours and minutes they're in the classroom, we're looking at 2.5 and 5 credits. That's right now specifically for our CTE students. Okay, so does this include the students that um, he is working with at John O'Connell and Ida B. Wells. At, and how about downtown? What's happening there? Um, right now, because they're not they're not uh, included in the CTE program, it's we could talk about it. We right now we are looking at the school district under uh, a work experience education plan for the district, and so um, some of this is. Uh, language around that plan. Uh, do we have a certificated teacher assigned? Uh, you know, how many minutes or is there a visit to the work site? So there's elements in the in the school partnership model that we certainly could include for downtown, and we could discuss that. Yeah, but for Ida B. Wells and John O'Connell, yes. Well, I think the concern is that if these are students at risk of not graduating, and these are students with low credits. So really during summer, what we prefer for our students to do is to actually take the classes we're offering that can give them credit to actually graduate. And so that's why I'm wondering if this also allows them to gain some credit while they're doing an internship and getting some support. I mean, that would be the ideal situation, because otherwise I would think that I would encourage students to really participate in a, an academic um, a, a summer offering where they can actually then beef up their credits and be on track to graduate, because 
we have so many students, and actually from these schools too, that actually don't graduate on time. So if they're at a continuation school, they're already not graduating on time. So a lot of these students are very behind in credits, and so if they're going to have a summer to actually make up credits, then I, I would think that we would encourage students to be in a program that would actually give them school credit. And if I could um, also mention, I, I forgot to mention earlier that as a part of that initiative, um, it is done in partnership with a class that's taught during the day, during uh, school time that students get credit for. So for example, at Ida B. Wells, it's done in partnership with the um, Heat of the Kitchen class that students take um, with the, the hope that by also having an uh, after-school paid activity that'll help to keep young people more engaged in the class. Okay, so um, maybe Sharon, that we can work on that with downtown, that they can actually get credit too when they're participating in this program because then it just would be um, icing on the cake too, right? Thank you so much. Thank you, Commissioner Wins. Thank you. I want to thank you for the presentation, but I'm and I may have missed this because you went through all the programs. But it, to follow up on Supervisor Kim's question, I'm interested in. Um, what, which I know I don't expect you to have today, but in the future with sort of the uh, long-term, not only evaluations, but also breaking down the participants. It, so uh, when some of the programs that you mentioned, you know, career awareness, I'd really like to know how many young people have paid jobs during the school year. I understand that many of them have jobs that don't go through any program, that's fine. <laughs> we can't know that, but for all the programs we are facilitating, how many actually get jobs and how many have paid jobs during the summer? Because when I've looked at these reports before about the summer jobs programs, there was nothing that distinguished between students who are in the awareness programs or it's connected to a school program and those that actually have a paid job. And so when I'd like to know that distinction in those numbers and then also know what follow-up we do to that. So it would be, I'm, I'm presuming and hoping that you and the people who manage these programs are also interested in knowing what kinds of real-world impact we get. So students who have a, a paid internship after school that we facilitate in some way we in, to get all of us, or a summer job that's paid that is facilitated and therefore training provided, et cetera, through a program, what happens to them after they graduate? You know, in other words, is their employed employment history or their ability in a difficult economy to get a job once they're not in school enhanced by that? I noticed that a lot of these programs go through 24, so I'm presuming that we have some data about that. But if we could, uh, as soon as we have some usable or, or um, accessible data in those areas provided, I'd appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner. I just want to recognize our time. We do have other department presentations after this and then another item. Let's see if we could go through this one. Um, so I'm, I'm going to start the presentation around uh, our Summer Jobs Plus initiative. Um, one of the things to understand, again, is our Summer Jobs Plus initiative is the umbrella of all the initiatives that are going on in the city. So it includes both the training uh, and workforce programs that DCYF funds, also those from all the other city departments in the city, as well as the private sector opportunities that um, our friends from United Way are going to talk about in a bit. So the numbers we're talking about and the strategy around Summer Jobs Plus are all those, all those initiatives. Uh, 
Um, so Summer Jobs Plus uh, started actually two years ago. Um, it is a partnership between the mayor's office and uh, DCYF and OEWD as the lead city department partners, United Way of the Bay Area and MatchBridge, which manage um, most of the private sector outreach and the overall coordination of the program. The San Francisco Unified School District, primarily with the Career Technical Education Program, our CBO partners, and then uh, finally our employers. The initiative was launched in summer 2012 in response to the Obama administration's call to action. Our challenge for that first year in 2012 was to provide 5,000 uh, training or employment opportunities for young people 14 to 24. And we look at paid training opportunities, so not, let's say, volunteer experiences or other experiences that aren't paid. Um, in that first year, we were able to provide 5,206. Uh, 5, and through the Mayor's Job Challenge, um, 790 private sector pledges were made. In, in summer of 2013, um, the Mayor upped that goal to 6,000 training and employment opportunities for young people, um, and we were able to actually surpass that um, and provide over 6,800. There were several advances that were made during uh, last year, our second summer. One was a new online applicant tracking system, the system that young people apply through to get access to the opportunities. We introduced something called doorway organizations, which are neighborhood hubs where young people can come and access the system and get more support in terms of um, applying for jobs and opportunities. And then started to expand what was just the summer jobs initiative into a year-round effort. So starting to work more closely with the school district to provide more work-based opportunities for young people during the school year. And I'm gonna actually turn over now to um, our partners at the United Way. Uh, good afternoon, uh, supervisors and commissioners. Thank you for having us here today. I'm Matt Poland. I'm the director of MatchBridge at United Way, uh, and along with our partners at the school district, the city, employers, and CBOs across San Francisco, we help manage San Francisco Summer Jobs Plus, and I'm excited to be here today to tell you about some of what I think really cool stuff that we're doing with Summer Jobs Plus. So my, the first slide that we have here, um, after going through the, some of the history, is just giving you guys a sense of who's actually hired young people in the private sector. Um, and this is a variety of jobs, internships, and other types of uh, programs at these various companies. Um, also, uh, our CBO partners uh, and nonprofits and educational institutions that are also involved uh, in Summer Jobs Plus with offering opportunities. And as Glenn had mentioned, these were all paid opportunities of various types. And some are jobs, some are internships, some are other type of work-based learning and training opportunities. Um, to go in a little bit more detail uh, about the outcomes from last year, and we do have outcomes from 2012 available um, if, you, if you guys are interested in those. Uh, I don't have them with me, but we can send them to you. Uh, last year, as Glenn mentioned, there's over 6,800 that were placed. Um, in the private sector, that was a little over 2,200. Uh, and in the public sector, so those a lot of the programs that Glenn was talking about earlier, uh, it's over 4,800. I'm sorry, 4,600. And the age of hires is predominantly in 14 to 18. Uh, and then the next level is 19 to 21, followed by 22 to 24. Uh, as far as race and ethnicity, uh, this is the breakdown. Um, and we believe we served a pretty, good, a pretty wide, um, diverse uh, group of young people. Uh, and the family income level uh, it was predominantly of low income, and that was primarily 
30,000 for the family and lower. A lot of the different programs had different ways of measuring or tracking that information. And when we aggregate together, it's about 30,000 for our family income level. So as far as the top San Francisco neighborhoods, uh, this was the breakdown uh, with Bayview at the top, Ingleside, Excelsior up at the top, uh, Visitation Valley and Portola. Um, so this was based on zip code, so the primary zip code of that neighborhood is what we use for this data here. So I wanted to get into talking about some of the plans that we have for, for the coming summer. Um, we want to extend doorways year-round. So we, we found that doorways, uh, which I'll, I'll get to in, in a minute here, were an extremely successful part of Summer Jobs Plus last year. Uh, they provided on-the-ground access points for young people. So they helped us identify the young people that were ready for work, and they also helped the young people who were not ready for work with accessing training programs and other social supports. Um, and we felt that it was necessary to continue them year-round. We're, we're starting a doorway at City College as well, um, out of the Guardian Scholars Office, which we're excited about. And we just finished up our RFQ process for the doorways for this summer, and we're about to make those announcements. Um, and we may actually expand the number of the doorways as well. Uh, as Glenn mentioned earlier, we want to provide year-round services, which is going to include closer work with the, with the school district, and I have a, a slide on that at the end. Um, we're going to have some upgrades to the online system, and I have a, a little preview for you and the next couple of slides of what the new, the new online platform will look like. Last year, we added the applicant tracking system. This year, we want to add a few more things to that, including an easier youth login. We got feedback that the login was difficult. Uh, ability to post community partner and program listings uh, and job opportunities from other sources. Um, another a good, a really cool strategy that we're working on right now we call the Summer Jobs Plus Champions. So a letter went out last week from the mayor's office to over 500 employers across San Francisco urging them to pledge funding and jobs for the initiative. So traditionally we've had the mayor's job challenge which is on the 21st and I have a slide on that. Uh, and this is to prime that event and bring employers in who are going to pledge jobs and internships. And we can actually start work on posting those and getting young people applying for those well in advance of the youth resource fair and the event. Um, we want to focus a little better on small business engagement. And we're going to probably do some of that through our doorways, which I'll get to in a minute, uh, working with us on the, the neighborhood associations and the neighborhood businesses. Um, and we also want to provide services for undocumented youth again this year. So I have a, a special slide in this. We had a pilot last year for undocumented youth with Meta, Chalk, and Lyric, uh, which I'll get to in a minute. And we'd like to, we're, go, we're planning on doing uh, a similar uh, program this year for undocumented young people. So uh, as I was mentioning before, the main functions of the doorway are access points for Summer Jobs Plus. Uh, they all use a common screening tool. So we worked with the Youth Employment Coalition to come up with a common screening tool for work readiness. How do you decide if a young person is actually ready for a competitive employment? Um, and came up with a pretty handy tool that everyone uses to determine if someone's ready for work. Um, they provide support and referrals to those that are not work ready. They provide workshops throughout the summer for the not work ready youth. Uh, and they also help the work-ready youth with job applications. So often if we are helping uh, recruit for Starbucks, all of the young people have to complete the application at Starbucks and need assistance with that. New, a couple of new things, we're going to work with them on conducting local employer engagement. Uh, we want to go out in the neighborhoods and actually work with the mom and pops in all of the neighborhoods 
to get some small business engagement. Summer Jobs Plus on the private sector has been a lot of big companies, and that's where a lot of the, you know, the plethora of jobs are. But there's also a lot of jobs in small business, and there's also a lot of opportunity there that we want to um, engage on. Uh, and we're also adding a youth outreach provider. So we've also put out a grant for um, an organization to go out there and really make sure that disconnected youth throughout the summer know about the, the opportunities available, know about the doorways, and are able to access those. So last year, these were our six doorways. Um, and again, served almost, I think, uh, just under 500 young people with walk-ins, screening and assessment, referrals for services, um, and were really a, a, I think, stellar part of summer, addition to Summer Jobs Plus last year that we're looking to continue this year. Um, we are looking to partner close, more closely with the school district. The school district has always been a partner of Summer Jobs Plus, but during the school year, uh, we want to bring employers into the classroom, as Glenn was mentioning before, for guest presentations, bringing the young people out for job shadows, mentorship programs, uh, something to really ground their learning, um, and which I think is especially important for youth that are off track or disconnected. Um, we've done a couple of uh, events with, with the school district this year to try things out. We want to do some more deeper work in the fall where we're going to be planning during the summer for some stuff that we're excited about in the fall along with the career and technical education program, which I think you guys are going to hear from in a minute. Um, and the website. So you'll notice John Bon Jovi prominently featured in this example. Uh, he was in the White House Council for Community Solutions around the youth jobs thing. So um, this is a mock-up of what the, the new website's going to look like. And I think this is the top of it. And the takeaway here is having a hub for young people to be able to go and know about all the different opportunities that are available. So at the top is what I'm calling our managed opportunities. So when we go out and we recruit with Starbucks and referring young people and advocating for them to get jobs at Starbucks, in the middle is where we can put, actually in the middle is jobs from other sources. Um, so we're going to internmatch.com and learn up and these other sites with some great opportunities that we're going to feed into this site. And then finally, the build your skills is where we want to advocate for a community. Community partners have asked us, can you post our internship program? Can you post our job training program? That's where we're going to have that. And we also want to integrate the city opportunities, which we're a little too late for this year, but hopefully in next year we can integrate city opportunities. This can be a, kind of a one-stop shop for the summer opportunities and year-round opportunities as we move through the year. Um, finally, uh, a services for undocumented youth. So in 2013, with some of the money that we raised, we gave grants to Chalk, Lyric, uh, and Meta to provide services to undocumented youth. Uh, Chalk and Lyric provided um, a specific program, which was a project-based learning program, to 27 youth, gave all the youth $1,100 each. Uh, and this was uh, to go more in depth. They, originally, they were planning a summit around undocumented workforce issues. So they went through a sort of a job readiness program, but a focus on uh, what the issues around undocumented youth, the issues they face, the challenges, the solutions. Uh, they did a community report back uh, meeting instead of a summit. Um, Meta actually did something a little different and had undocumented youth uh, in their customer service training. Uh, and for it, I believe it ended up being five young people that were undocumented. They're in their customer service training. They provided DACA services to and helped them. Uh, I believe two of them actually going through the process for the DACA services. And we do have the one young person actually went through the whole process of getting their work paperwork and then becoming employed in the private sector. 
So we've seen a young person make it through that whole step of getting their paperwork to be able to work legally. And it's something we're really excited about. We've set aside money to, um, and we're, we're just working on some proposals from Chalk and Lyric, um, as well as Meta for this coming summer, and we're really excited about doing that again. Um, what I'll end with is just the upcoming kind of launch events that we always have for Summer Jobs Plus. So uh, on May 10th, and I encourage you all to be there, uh, is our Youth Resource Fair. It's going to be at Pier 35 this year. And the purpose is to connect the young people to the opportunities, have them sign up online. There will be employers there. Um, they will get a mock interview. There will be workshops. And the CBOs will be there. And we actually connect young people who need help to the CBOs on the spot. And then on the 21st is the Mayor's Job Challenge. And this is where we invite employers to come and make their commitments um, at City Hall, uh, funding and internships and jobs. Um, and those are the employers that we work with. With addition to other employers, we're doing outreach throughout the summer to employers. But these are kind of like the key employers that usually come to this event. And like I was saying before with the Champions Letter, we're already engaging some of them. They're making commitments well in advance of this event. So. Um, I'd like to turn it over to uh, Mr. Thomas Myers from uh, Office of Economic and Workforce Development who wants to uh, tell you a little bit more about the employer end of things. For Thank you. And I just want to note, um, I believe, so we have Reckon Park and SFUSD presenting after this, and we're at 4 o'clock, and we have another item. We have to end the meeting, committee meeting by 5, so if we can be aware of the time. Okay. And also leave more time for questions and discussions than the presentation itself. But um, Mr. Myers, I want to welcome you up here, our Deputy Director for the Mayor's Office of Economic and Workforce Development. Thank you. Uh, Thomas Myers, Deputy Director of uh, Workforce Development. Uh, the only thing I wanted to add today was that we've reached out to about 500 employers this summer to uh, have individuals, youth individuals, uh, work in various occupations and for various employers this summer. Uh, the outreach started last week with the mayor's invitation letter. Um, we're following up with employers this week all the way up through the Youth Resource Fair on May 10th, as well as the uh, Job Challenge on May 21st. Uh, we'll be continue to engage with employers after that date in order to catch youth that are either going to be uh, coming out of school later or haven't quite decided what they're going to do for the summer. And um, that's pretty much all I wanted to add to that. If you've got any questions, I'll just be around to answer those. Thank you, Mr. Myers. Um, any questions or discussion from board members? Um, you know, I think from my perspective, what I'm most curious about is the response that young people have had to the Summer Jobs Initiative program over the last two years. And I don't know if there's a collection of the evaluations and what really worked for students and what didn't. Mm -hmm. um, sure. Um, so we've always uh, surveyed young people. Uh, so first of all, as far as response, there were, um, I believe, a couple thousand that signed up online. Uh, there's a little bit of drop-off for uh, people that create a profile and then the ones that make it to the next step and apply for, for something and so forth. Uh, but there were about 800 young people that came to the Youth Resource Fair. We did do a survey for employers, nonprofits, and youth. Um, and, we, and I don't know the exact number. There was at least 200-plus surveys from young people. Um, and some of the things we heard were uh, we need to find more opportunities for young people 16 and 17, that, and that's an ongoing issue. There's a lot of employers are not um, very eager to hire under 18, and that's something we have to work, we work on with employers all the time. We heard that there was difficulties on the website with logging in, which is why we've created a new way to log in um, that hopefully will, will take care of that issue. Um, 
in, in general, I think young people were craving more opportunities, and I think part of that solution is having all of those opportunities that are available in one spot, and so young people know about them well in advance. Rec and Parks, I think, does their application in January and MyEP in April, and then we're also doing Summer Jobs Plus throughout, and having that all in one spot where they can go and know about all the different opportunities when they're actually happening is, is some things we've been working on. Thank you. All right. Seeing no further comment, uh, we have Bob Palacio from Rock and Park Department. Okay, good afternoon, uh, Supervisors and Commissioners. Again, Bob Palacio, Superintendent of Recreation and Community Services for Rec and Park. Uh, I have a short presentation. I promise to be, uh, to be brief. Um, the areas that I will be covering are summer camps, summer recreation programs, our scholarship program, uh, special events and special programs this summer, RPD's role in violence prevention this summer, uh, how we outreach and market our programs, um, and summer hires, job opportunities, as well as uh, a quick summary and answer any questions that you may have. Okay, summer camps. We have 78 different types of summer camps this summer. Uh, they'll be held at 44 different locations throughout the city. We currently have 13,500 registrations already for this summer uh, out of an available 15,500 slots. So we've, we've already had a busy, uh, a busy lead up to summer. Some of our summer camps, they include early childhood camps like uh, kindergarten readiness camp. We have arts and science camps. Some of those are arts in the park, discovery camp, random museum camp, specific art camp. Other camps are waterfront camps. Some of those camps look like rod and reels camp, junior mariner camp, wave riders and surf camp where kids go surfing. And we also have our aquatics camps, Camp Neptune, aquatics leaders in training, and then our learn to swim camps, which are, are very, very important. We also have our traditional sports camps, which are baseball, basketball, flag football. Um, we're also introducing lacrosse and some other camps that we're offering for kids citywide this summer. We have alternative sports camps, which are uh, archery, uh, Fog City Camp, and then Shred and Butter, which is our skateboarding camp, which is very, very popular. Uh, we have outdoor recreation camps. Those are some of our most popular camps. Many of you know those, Silver Tree, Pine Lake, uh, Eco Adventure Camps, and then our indoor rock climbing camps that we partner with uh, Planet Granite as well. We have teen focus camps. Those ones also fill up in uh, some of the ones that we're most proud of and our most creative camps. They have our leading in, leader in training camps. We have SF navigation camps. We have Surviving the City on $5. that uh, teaches kids how to uh, actually have a day in the summer on five bucks. Uh, and then also how to navigate the entire city. It's mainly, uh, that one's mainly geared towards um, uh, teaching kids how to get across the city on Muni or on mass transit, and it's geared towards those tweens that'll be going to leaving middle school and heading to high school and may have to travel to different parts of the city. So it's, it's also a really good camp. And then we have our, um, our neighborhood camps, which we do throughout the city uh, at many of our uh, large rec centers and other uh, properties. Um, we, we theme those camps. We do the Streets of San Francisco, uh, When Nature Calls, Never Ending Stories. Each one of those camps has a theme each week. 
Okay, in addition to those camps, we also have adaptive recreation and inclusion camps. We do Camp Azure, which uh, is a camp uh, that is designed for children on the autism spectrum so that they have a fun and successful summer with, uh, with their peers. We do that uh, not only at Silvertree but also at Discovery Camp, and we'll be looking for additional spots uh, to grow that camp. In addition to our, our regular camps, we have our recreation programs. Some of those programs are uh, citywide senior programs that happen at various locations across the city. We have Junior Giants Baseball, which we partner with the Giants Community Fund. We have all of our dance classes, Zumba, yoga, digital arts, uh, Mission Rec Girls, AAU program. There are hundreds of programs. The registration uh, is May 17th for those programs. That's when registration opens up. We also have um, special events and special programs that happen uh, that will be happening this summer. Healthy People, Healthy Parks, where we do uh, walking programs. Um, we also do free Zumba and yoga classes at 13 different locations throughout the city. Uh, those are free of, of charge. We're also doing Play Day on July 26th this year as part of National Recreation Month. We've chosen uh, Palega Recreation Center as a place that we'll be doing pl uh, uh, Play Day. We wanted to have something on the southeast side of the city. And we felt that uh, the beautiful new property at Pelega uh, would be the most appropriate to serve the Excelsior, Crocker Amazon, uh, the Portola, Bayview, and Visitation Valley. So we look forward to that. We also have our ASL immersion camps where um, people will learn American Sign Language. We're doing those at Mission Playground, which uh, is something that's very interesting to me as well. We have our mobile rec where we bring uh, rock climbing, BMX, bike riding, um, and um, skateboarding um, throughout the neighborhoods uh, in the city where we don't require kids to come to us. We actually go to them. Um, we have our Greenagers program, which is ninth and 10th graders. They learn leadership and gardening skills, and we do that uh, out at McLaren Park, Heron's Head, and Bayview Complexes. That's been a really successful program over the last uh, two years. Um, we also are doing food nutrition programs, um, future chefs where kids will learn to cook uh, and buy healthy foods, which is really cool. And then we're going to do our, our next edition of Rec Idol, uh, which is where kids from all over the city um, use their talents to vie for that, that title. Okay, our scholarship program, one of, the, one of the programs that we're most proud of at Rec and Park. We've already awarded $650,000 worth of scholarships this summer. Uh, we are up over a million dollars for the entire year. Uh, we have scholarships that are uh, in the 50%, 75%, and 100% range, depending on which one you qualify for. Most folks qualify for the 100%, so uh, there are very few people that are at um, the 50% range. Um, again, one of, our, one of our guiding principles is that no one would be excluded from um, participation based on ability or inability to pay. Sure. One quick question here. Yep. Um, um, I'm a little curious in terms of scholarships. Um, um, it's assuming, then I guess my assumption would be that Rec and Park charges for the activities. We do. So um, for many of the activities we charge and for many of the activities we don't. It just depends on what, um, what commission and board approved um, fees we have for different programs. So when you say scholarship, um, basically it's still city funding them. 
Correct. So um, what we do is we look for, um, for people to donate to our scholarship fund. We do different events like we had the extravaganza where we take that money uh, and then supplement um, the different fees that uh, a family would incur uh, were they to take a camp or a program with our department. Okay. Okay, so our, uh, our violence prevention uh, and strategies roll this summer. Uh, once again, we're doing late night basketball, which we now call Peace Hoops. It's not Peace Soup, it's Peace Hoops. Uh, we do that at um, Hamilton Recreation Center and at Joseph Lee. We partner with the San Francisco Police Department and the Mayor's Office, um, as well as uh, Supervisor Cohen, to put on um, a, a program that uh, runs, I believe it's about eight weeks uh, in the summer. Uh, it targets uh, the transitional age youth population um, specifically and those uh, folks that would need a little bit of extra help. It's not just a basketball program. It's actually a, a social services program. We try to help them get back their licenses, um, figure out how to deal with their child support if they have those issues. Um, so there's a lot of courses that they actually are required to take in order to uh, participate in that program. We also have the Camp May 13 Outdoor Experience, which is a program where we take uh, 50 um, youth that are either on probation or currently incarcerated. We partner with juvenile probation and SFPD uh, and, and partner CBOs to take kids up to Camp Mather, which we'll actually get to go back to this year. Last year we had to uh, uh, move that program to a, a different property, so we're excited to, to be back at Mather this year. Um, we have our leaders in training program. We do uh, leadership and training programs throughout the city. We have a, a really good one in aquatics where kids learn to uh, the skills that they'll need to become lifeguards. Um, we also try to activate our parks uh, as much as possible throughout the summer. We've, we've, we know that uh, the more activated a park is with healthy activities, um, uh, the better off that, that that community and park will, uh, will be for the summer. Um, we also work closely with SFPD um, in constant communications with them as well as um, Park Patrol and our CBO partners to, um, to find new ways of, of um, not only um, patrolling and, and policing our, our facilities but again activating them in a healthy way. Um, okay, our work creation, uh, jumping to employment. Our summer jobs for youth uh, and adults, we have over 500 summer hires uh, this year. Workreation, which is, I believe, the city's oldest standing uh, youth employment program. Uh, we're hiring 235 youth this summer, um, and we've also ramped up an additional 100, um, 3279 recreation leaders, which are the folks who lead our courses and programs and help with our camps. We've hired uh, 10 additional 3286 recreation coordinators, which help lead those camps again. Uh, and we have an additional 150 lifeguards, cooks, camp assistants, et cetera, that, um, that we employ for the summer. So it's, it's a pretty big undertaking. We also have the 20 kids that participate in the Greenagers program that receive stipends. So all told, it's, uh, it's somewhere over 500 additional people that we hire for the summer. So it's, it's pretty extensive. Okay, and so how do we outreach and market all the things that we do? Um, we do collateral material, you know, the flyers, the posters, postcards. We try to get those up in all of our facilities, including our pools, rec centers, 
um, and in any of the businesses or our CBO partners that um, we can. We have banners that we use. Uh, we send out an e-news to approximately, I think it's 50 to 60,000 folks. Um, we have our Reckon Park website where we constantly are posting um, the new things that we're doing on there. We use social media such as Twitter and Facebook, partner websites and newsletters, city agency collaboration, uh, the elected officials' newsletters, which many of the supervisors um, are very good about uh, getting getting that stuff out, city agency collaboration, um, direct outreach to San Francisco Unified School District schools. So we use um, a few times a year. Uh, we actually do the mailers that go home on Tuesdays or Wednesdays to the uh, all of the students across the city. Um, we do direct outreach to recreation centers and our facilities. So we constantly have our people. Um, walking out door to door, making sure that the, the surrounding community is aware of what's going on. We have online calendars for special events. Uh, we promote in earned media. And then I don't know if you've seen our SFMTA bus ads that we have uh, that are out now that are encouraging people to sign up for programs this summer. So they were really nice. Uh, we also have radio PSAs and we use newspaper ads. So I think, you know, just to summarize um, what what our goal is, obviously, is to provide quality programs, have safe and clean open spaces this summer for, um, for kids and families to participate in. Uh, and then we rely on our customer and community feedback so that we can improve um, not only, you know, the following year, but as we go along, uh, we can make improvements throughout the summer. Um, we also look to have productive partnerships. We are partnering with lots of folks, and we continue to increase that number uh, and, our, and as a result, our quality of what we've been able to offer to our department has gone up. So if you have any questions, I'd be willing to answer those. Mr. Palacios, thank you for your presentation. Um, very thorough and uh, gives me a lot of thought about my, uh, my kids' summer options. Um, also, I uh, just want to know when is the time, has it already passed for signing up for summer uh, programs, summer camps and all that? Yeah, so summer camps, you can sign up now. That That is open, and on May 17th, the uh, summer programs will actually be open. So we do two different registrations. There's such a, the summer camp um, registration is so big, and there's so many thousands of people that jump online at the same time. We do it at a separate time. So we've already started that, and you can still sign up now. There's lots of room in, in many of the camps. Uh, and then the summer programs begin May 17th. Great. Um, I've been signing up and it's really hard to actually you know so many people all at the same time 10 o'clock is the sign sign in time and uh i've missed out on a lot of classes but uh it's there's a really great program that's being offered by Reckon park i'm really impressed uh by you know, all across the city what you guys offer for uh for programs for young people of people of all ages mm -hmm. uh so I, I really encourage people so march 17th 10 a.m may 17th May 7th, May 17th, I misspeak all the time, yep. 10 a.m. Correct. Uh, for general um, non-summer camp sign-up for programs for, for the summer. Yeah, and I encourage people, you know, don't get discouraged. The first 30 minutes is a little rough. There's so many people that go on. The, the, the server only has the capacity to have so many people on at once. So if you stay on, usually after that first 30 to 45 minutes, you'll be fine. Great. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Commissioner Mendoza. Oh, there we go. Thank you. Um, so this is not the same, but similar with regards to Camp Mather this year mm -hmm. and um, whether or not it's going to be open and the difference from, you know, after the tragic rim fire. Um, I just, if, could you just tell us a, a quick brief update on that? 
So Camp Aether will be open to its full capacity, which we're really excited about. So we're going to have 11 weeks of family camp again. Um, I think the, the, the devastation will be seen by everyone that um, takes the trip up. Um, you'll see a lot more up. Once you get into the camp, you're not really going to see it. Um, we've been very fortunate that we've had um, a number of commissioners um, as well as the PUC be supportive of uh, Rec and Park and getting the things that we need to get done at Camp Mather to be able to have a full family camp uh, again this year. Um, we hope to add some new amenities and, and create a little bit even better experience at Camp Mather, which we're going to do and we're working on now. So we're really excited to, um, to have Mather up and running again this year. And I think that people will see once they're in the, in the middle of the camp, you don't notice too much of the damage that the rim fire created, but definitely um, you will see it uh, on the way up. Uh, the, the entire forest is closed around us, uh, which will be a challenge. So we have some mes messaging to do uh, with, with the folks that will be attending camp. But um, all of the amenities that are in camp, the lake, the pools, the horseback riding, all of that stuff is still a go. So, so we're happy and we're excited to have those kids uh, come up at the end of the summer because they, I know that they really missed going to Mather, um, some of the ones that had been uh, returned kids. So. Thank you. It was incredible how close yeah. the fire came to Camp Mather. Yeah. Um, I was I, I toured about maybe a month and a half afterward, mm -hmm. and it was like 50 feet from the cafeteria. And I, I also have a picture from uh, General Manager Phil Ginsburg, mm -hmm. and just off the softball field and archery area, you can see the trees behind just engulfed in flames. Yeah, incredible. It, 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 People, I really don't think, understand how close we were to losing the camp. Uh, it, you know, it was feet, as you said. It was not something that, you know, you were just kind of hearing or thinking about in the distance. It was people were fighting it right from the edge of camp. Uh, and so we're, we're very, very fortunate that the structures are still there and most of the infrastructure uh, that, that helps the camp um, throughout the summer uh, is still intact. Again, we've got some work to do. That We've got a large group of people going up. Um, next and other week. camps didn't make it. I mean, uh, camp many Berkeley other camps didn't camp, make it. But camp Tawanga is that yeah. still? Uh, camp Tawanga's up, but they had a lot of damage. Um, they also are, had some tough times getting in and out of their camp this Berkeley's summer. Um, Berkeley camp did not make it. San Jose camp had challenges. There, there were a number of camps that did not make it that were just engulfed by the fires. Well, I made it. <laughs> Thank you. You're very welcome. Do we have other uh, presentations as well? Um, who's next up? I think they're up next. Thank you. Uh, hello again, and thank you for having us. I'm Sharon Zimmerman, and I am from the College of uh, College and Career Readiness Department at San Francisco Unified School District, and I'm the supervisor there. And I am uh, really happy to introduce Darlene Cardenas, who is our work-based learning coordinator this year, um, and a huge help to some of the improvements that we've been able to do for our summer internship program. So getting started, I'm going to just lower this a little bit. Um, I'm just going to quickly, our, the CTE programs are school year programs, two-year programs. We have 24 CTE academies at SFUSD and 12 high schools, representing 12 industry sectors. These are two-year programs with, uh, that uh, align to California state standards around uh, CTE industry sectors. 
Uh, they're all taught by CTE credentialed teachers with industry experience in that industry sector. And we have work-based learning throughout the year, and this is, was referred to earlier through MatchBridge and DCYF helping us out with that. Um, and th those are guest speakers, field trips, um, uh, job shadows. But let, we're talking right now specifically about summer, so let me get on to summer. So we are using the term a little bit more around a productive work uh, summer, uh, productive summer. And with that said, we are looking to, um, we have 75 paid internships this year. We are going to be expanding. So last year we had 86 paid internships that came through um, our private and um, public uh, connections, mostly through our industry advisory boards. And that also included, I believe, 30 from Youth Works, which was also referred to uh, tonight. Um, I'm going to try to go through this because we're going to go drill into these numbers at the very last slide. Um, the intent of the summer uh, internship is really to expand the learning that's happening in the school year programs. So to give them um, the six-week um, intensive, you know, uh, all-day experience as opposed to these um, one- or two-hour experiences. And we're also exploring this year letting the students expand outside of their industry sector. So if they're in a health sciences academy at one of our high schools, they, are, they actually have the opportunity this year to um, apply to some other industry sector programming. And this is because we actually have more opportunities this year. And I think that has a lot to do with having a work-based learning coordinator. Um, so let me just real details about our summer internship program. It is six weeks. We currently have 77 placements. The students receive a $600 stipend, and um, that is coming through the actual donation from an industry partner and or a donation from one of our other partners, for instance, United Way and DCYF. Um, each of our students becomes temporary employees of San Francisco Unified School District, completes the whole HR packet, and um, is supervised by um, a, our staff during the school year. More support, and the actual supervisor is at work-based learning contact at an industry um, partner host site. And each of our host sites completes an MOU, and that is provides um, uh, 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 and, you know, workers' comp types of language for our students. I'm going to uh, let Darlene talk about um, two other new additional parts of our summer programming. So what I just talked to you right now is that traditional six-week internship program, and I thought it would be really great if, if just to, to make it very clear that we have some other new programming coming on, and I'm going to let Darlene explain that. Good afternoon. I'm Darlene Cardenas, and I'm the Work-Based Learning Coordinator. So last year, we actually piloted uh, two programs at John O'Connell. We had an energy and utilities and a building construction program, and we're excited to actually fully launch it this summer. This particular program um, is the student stipends are funded by the PLA agreement, the Project Labor Agreement. And this year, our goal is to have 30 students participate um, under the Project Labor Agreement with the goal of 20 students per program. And so at John O'Connell, again, we're going to have two different programs energy and utilities and building construction. This particular program is a five-week program and it's gonna mirror the dates and times of summer school at O'Connell. 
and we're really excited. We adjusted the schedule from last year so that students who need credit recovery can take a credit recovery during the first period and then they're eligible to complete um, the summer program right after. And again, students will receive $600 for their participation in this program. We also have another program at John O'Connell. It's called the Culinary Entrepreneurship Program. And this program, again, is going to target 20 students. And we've expanded the student enrollment um, to include students from agriculture at Mission High School, hospitality programs at John O'Connell, Galileo, Washington, and Ida B. Thank you. As well as the Finance Academy out at Lincoln. Again, this program is going to mirror the other programs at John O'Connell. It's a five-week experience that includes three days of classroom instruction and two days of work-based learning um, worksite visits. Um, again, students will have an opportunity to complete credit recovery in the morning, and they will participate in the program in the afternoon. And students um, will receive a $200 stipend funded by Jewish Vocational Services. And this is a partnership between JVS, O'Connell High School, and SFUSD CTE programs. This year, we're launching an automotive technology program in collaboration with Muni. Um, this student stipend is also funded by the Project Labor Agreement. Um, the goal enrollment is 20 students. Um, this program is a five-week experience, and students will actually earn 10 credits um, towards high school graduation. And again, the classroom learning will be three times a week with two-day week rotations um, to one of the Muni areas. We're also really excited to launch a media production house this summer. This is going to be housed at Galileo. Um, this program will have 20 students. We have 10 students that can participate in the first session with another 10 students to participate in the second session. And in this particular program, students are actually going to utilize their skills in media arts to put together a public service announcement for one of our nonprofits in the area. We're currently recruiting um, some nonprofits to serve as clients. Um, client companies over the summer. So if you know of any nonprofits, please share with us. We're happy to um, provide some public services announcements for those nonprofits. Um, again, students are eligible to participate in summer school as well as earn 2.5 credits for this program. And we are fortunate enough to have student stipends funded um, by Comcast. This program is also funded by the Office of Extended Learning and Support um, with Sprout Funds funding the teachers. We also are really excited to talk about our student success structure. So one of the things that we are really careful about is making sure that all of our students receive an orientation prior to being placed in the summer internship program. Um, we're going to have a week-long orientation that's 20 hours long, and that's going to focus on career readiness, professionalism, as well as financial literacy, since this is going to be the first paid employment for, for many of our students. Um, we're also going to have a counselor that will be assigned to all of our students, and all of our students will have a worksite visit by their summer internship program counselor, um, and then again, check up on both the students and the host to make sure that both parties are mutually satisfied with the placement. Um, and then there's also going to be some follow-up. We want to make sure that we're constantly assessing our summer programs, and so it's important for us to get feedback from students and from the employers. Um, this feedback was done last year. We were able to um, make recommended changes so we can have a better program for this summer. And I, I apologize. Um, I think we have run out of time on this item. Okay. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to open up um, for questions um, from board members and then open up for public comment. And so maybe Great. some of the things that weren't addressed yet in the presentation will come through the questions. Commissioner Fewer. 
Um, so this isn't a question. Thank you, Supervisor Kim. This isn't a question, but I just wanted to um, let the supervisors know because the city has generously funded summer school in a couple of really hard years for us. That this year, we have um, dedicated two two million dollars towards credit recovery, and part of it is to offer summer school at the following high school sites: Galileo Academy, Balboa High School, Thurgood Marshall, and George Washington High School. And they will serve high school students throughout the city, offering classes to help them graduate for those students who are behind and need some credit recovery. I just wanted the listening public also to be able to um, hear that. Thank you very much. Thank you, Commissioner Fewer. I know that that was a priority um, on the school board, but also the Board of Supervisors to ensure that we continue to fund summer school, which is such a critical piece of our education system and was um, sadly cut um, for one year when we have massive state cuts. Um, it was an unfortunate decision, but I'm glad that we were able to fulfill that need. Commissioner Wins. Uh, thank you. I want to thank you all for the presentation. I'm kind of interested in um, what students go to these programs that are located at certain schools in the summer. So what I want to know is, do we really get students from other schools or do they get filled with students from the school where the program is located? Sure, I can answer that. So um, the way we organize our recruitment, actually, uh, we expanded it so that we're not um, having hospitality students only apply for hospitality internships. So the summer internship program application packet that we had, we actually ha listed all of our different opportunities and students were actually able to rank the opportunities based on their interest, um, which actually provided us with additional information about the importance of providing career exploration opportunities this summer. Um, we've also expanded the opportunities above and beyond CTE students, which is the first time for us. And so we have um, students at other schools that either they're not CTE students because they're currently sophomores, um, or students that, for example, at Lowell have expressed an interest in building construction out at O'Connell. So we actually have a lot of students um, applying for programs. And again, students that are interested in exploring summer programs that's unrelated to their um, academy. So it's been really exciting for us. So what's the result? <laughs> Do we know yet? But it, and you don't have, I mean, you can yeah, tell the, me. Well, actually, tomorrow is the deadline to get all the applications in. Um, so we would probably know that in a couple weeks. As of today, I received 150 applications from students throughout the district, um, but I'm anticipating about another 75 tomorrow. For how many spots for these, like, 100 so, spots? Yeah, so currently we have um, 220 spots total. So, so enough for them to all get into some program. Yeah, they'll be able to participate in some program, and most I, likely their first choice. I'd like to know, as, as we go along, sort of what schools they came from so that we see if we get a mix and how much access students are having to programs not at their own high school. Yeah, absolutely. We actually built a, or, or in their own neighborhood. <laughs> right. We actually have a database um, that we implemented this year so that we're able to kind of collect data of students' interest and where their placement is. Um, so this will be able to, we can share that information in the future. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Supervisor Yee. Um, just a quick um, question. Have, have you ever thought of, um, not you personally, but the school district, um, thought about how you could somehow combine this effort with the kindergarten to college fund? Um, is it kindergarten or college? Or? Yeah, but it's only, they're only little kids. They're only. I, I, I know, but there's, there's supposedly an account for each student. There is kindergarten. And then, um, so my question is whether or not there's, anybody's explored the possibility of, rather than giving all the money to 
it's not very much, but uh, the stipend, total stipend to the students, could it, is there any possibility to put some of it into that account uh, to help them save for their college and maybe find a, a donor that can match each hundred dollars that, that the student's willing to put into that account or something like that? Yeah, so we're actually, no, I just wanted to address the, the K to college account, which is for our kindergartners, and so we've been doing it for four years now. We don't have anything for our older kids yet, um, with the idea that the funds that get deposited for our kindergartners are to be used for them when they go to college. So we have seven years to think about it. So we <laughs> Thank you. So at this time, I'm going to open up for public comment. I believe we have one of our commissioners in the room that want to speak on this item, so I will call up our commissioners first. It doesn't matter. All right. Um, so good afternoon, uh, supervisors and board of ed commissioners. My name's Nicholas Persky. I'm currently the chair of the San Francisco Youth Commission, um, and I was appointed by District 1 Supervisor Eric Marr. Uh, I also serve on the Youth Employment and Immigration Committee, um, and we've done a lot of work around um, both youth employment and then also especially um, the immigration part of our committee is making sure that immigrant youth and undocumented youth have equitable access to employment opportunities. Um, so the reason why um, we're here today is um, we hope that both the city and SFUSD, um, when we uh, approach the Summer Jobs Plus program coming this year, um, can try and do more to employ more undocumented youth. Um, currently, um, there was a program last year, a pilot program, which was a huge success, but it only employed um, approximately 42 undocumented youth. Um, and compared to, um, that's about 0.8% uh, of the entire undocumented youth population of San Francisco, whereas for all youth, it's more like 7% or 8% for the entire Summer Jobs Plus. So undocumented youth have about one-tenth the chance of becoming employed in a Summer Jobs Plus program uh, compared to um, youth that do have right-to-work documentation. Um, so w what we want to say is that while we know that there are lots of barriers with respect to federal law and state law, um, especially in San Francisco, um, where there's a will, there's a way, um, especially in our programs that are funded by general fund dollars and not funded by um, the state and not funded by federal government. Um, this city as a sanctuary city and also um, the school district, which um, has historically um, supported its undocumented students um, very well. Um, we, we hope that you can do more to kind of take accountability um, to employ more undocumented youth because Currently, while there are great programs that are going on, it's serving you know less than 1% of the youth that need it. Um, so as you um, go and uh, start this program this summer, uh, we hope you can do that. And we're looking forward, um, as the Youth Commission, to working with uh, both the Board of Supervisors, the Mayor, and the Board of Education uh, to make that happen. So thank you. Thank you. Perfect timing. Thank you, Commissioner Persky. It's really um, important for us to have the perspective of young people because this is the program um, dedicated to young folks. So thank you for coming here today. Are there any other public comment on this item? Seeing none, public comment is closed. Any um, final comments or questions? Seeing none, um, Madam Clerk, can we please call item number two? Thank you. Thank you. It, it's, uh, excuse me, file number 140349, and it's um, a hearing on reauthorization of PEEF, the Public Education and Enrichment Fund, also sponsored by you, Supervisor. 
Thank you, Madam Clerk. And I, my apologies, I forgot to thank all of our presenters who made the time to be here today um, to talk about really uh, an important uh, gap uh, during the summertime which, where we provide additional support to make sure that young people are not falling through the cracks. So thank you for your work and also for your time in presenting to us today. Okay, so our next item is the Public Education Enrichment Fund. Um, now in its 10th year, of, of programming since it was first passed in March of 2004. This, this ballot measure was sponsored by then Supervisor Tom Amiano, who put on a ballot measure because he believed that there should be a portion of city general funds that should be dedicated to our public education system and preschool for all. Um, through conversations um, in the community with many nonprofit organizations, teachers, parent advocates, and youth, um, this ballot measure um, was put um, on the March 2004 ballot um, initially setting aside $10 million out of the city's general fund um, to our public schools, um, specifically for sports, arts, and libraries, uh, a, a part of the program and curriculum of SFUSD that had been largely cut um, with deep, uh, through deep revenue losses at the state level, particularly after the passage and implementation of Proposition 13. A portion of the funds were set aside for discretionary use by the school district, and a third of the funds were set aside for the first five commission to deliver preschool for all for four-year-olds here in San Francisco. Now in its 10th year, um, the city actually must go back to the voters to reauthorize this general fund set aside. Um, so our discussion here today is really over the last 10 years, um, a broad overview, um, which we will get a presentation from uh, Deputy Superintendent Myung Lee, um, but also an opportunity for um, this committee, um, both the Board of Supervisors and the Board of Education, along with committee members that are here, to really talk about how um, what we would like uh, the Public Education Enrichment Fund to look like as we go for reauthorization this November of 2014. Um, we know that this um, initiative is wild, uh, wildly popular um, with our residents who really believe that the city should also put in additional funding for um, SFUSD. We know that California is 49th in the country in per pupil spending, and we acknowledge that instead of just sitting back um, and complaining about it, that the school, uh, that the local um, uh, municipality can help contribute um, into some of the gap and bring back some programming that we really haven't seen in over 15 years, like art classes, librarians, PE teachers, and sports that were largely cut um, since 1978. Um, this is uh, an initiative that is of particular importance to me, um, I think, over my time on the Board of Education, but also as a member of the, uh, of the first CAC of Proposition H, I really got to see firsthand the difference that these dollars were making um, in our schools, in our classrooms. And there is not a school that you uh, can walk into where you can't see the impact of these dollars, whether it's finally having a librarian three days a week where there was none before, whether it's finally having an arts class, whether it's finally having a P program and sports um, and other equipment um, necessary, or even funding things like our peer resources center, um, our, our health centers and our high schools, restorative justice, these dollars have been truly essential to helping augment what SFUSD receives, but also helping SFUSD reach, uh, reach its goals of educating our young people and closing our opportunity and achievement gap. Um, so really looking forward to um, 
introducing this uh, next Tuesday um, and having a long-term discussion in um, parallel with the Children's Fund, which also must go for reauthorization either this year or next year, and being able to present something to the voters that all of us can stand behind um, but also pass successfully um, at the ballot. So I did want to give an opportunity um, if any other board members would like to speak before we have um, Deputy Superintendent Lee. Supervisor Yee. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you. Um, as we know, PEEF, uh, one-third of the funding goes to um, the, uh, the preschool for, for all uh, program. And this was um, also a very important aspect of the education funds uh, because we all know that um, from research, many decades of research, that uh, if, if um, children uh, – enter kindergarten without having any of um, the early education uh, type activities, uh, they're, they're going to be struggling, especially for those children that are coming from low to moderate income uh, families. Um, and at the time, there was a lot of discussion whether we should even put it in there, mainly because um, there was an attempt, a statewide attempt to do universal pre, uh, pre-K, and there was a lot of hope that maybe that will solve the problem because the state had not uh, funded uh, enough or given enough uh, resources for preschool, uh, not only for low income, forget about the middle income, uh, they had no opportunities. So um, to the, you know, um, I, and we're, we should be really thankful for the wisdom of uh, this, the uh, people in this city because if we had depended on that statewide uh, ballot initiative to pass, we would have been um, basically where we were 10 years ago, uh, not being able to serve uh, the number of, of children that we're serving today. So the program itself, um, I'm glad to report, and, and uh, the first five commission has done a, a good job in, in implementing, and um, their studies have shown the impact that uh, there's increased um, uh, numbers way above uh, the national level, way above the state level in terms of um, uh, the percentage of, of uh, our four-year-olds actually getting preschool experience. Uh, and, that, and that has uh, academic impact, whether it's in reading or emotional support or math. Um, so the evaluation is proving us right from the field that the investment uh, made um, was a worthwhile investment. So I'm looking forward to the reauthorization uh, of this and, and even strengthening it, uh, the program itself, um, uh, because what it has done is given almost every low-income uh, uh, child an opportunity to be participating. And uh, you would think that even middle-income uh, middle uh, families may not even need the help, but in this city, uh, as you all know, it's so expensive that it's really difficult even for middle-income uh, families to provide uh, the preschool uh, um, uh, activities for for their youngsters. So um, one of the things that we're looking forward to is, is actually trying to keep, uh, have it as flexible as possible for this program. Thank you very much. 
Thank you, Supervisor Yi. And I, I forgot to mention that uh, Supervisor Yi, Avalos, and myself are working on the reauthorization of the Public Education Enrichment Fund, the drafting of that language along with the Children's Fund, um, which we um, hope to introduce uh, next week, but finally um, be able to put together by the May 20th uh, Charter Amendment deadline um, set by the Board of Supervisors. And, so, and, 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 and there's, there's going to be a third piece introduced as an amendment, too, which is the uh, Children and Families uh, uh, Council. That will be introduced. Thank you. Deputy Superintendent Lee, thank you for being here. Thank you, Madam Chair, for holding or for introducing the hearing request and for all the committee members for hearing about this exciting initiative with uh, which I know you are all intimately familiar. Supervisor Kim and Supervisor Yi did, I think you did a great job of giving half of the presentation that I was uh, planning to give, and that's probably just as well given the time. Um, but we, I did want to give a very, very high-level overview of some of the investments that have been made possible through the voters' approval of uh, the Public Education Enrichment Fund Charter Amendment uh, slightly more than 10 years ago. So, and this is, I'm not sure if I'm operating this device correctly, but we do have a, a little presentation. Um, so um, SFGovTV, if you could help with the presentation. So as Supervisors Kim and Yi mentioned, this measure has been in place for uh, slightly uh, more than 10 years. We are in our, we're in our ninth year of implementation of the resources uh, that the voters approved and the current level of funding is for all three parts of the Public Education Enrichment Fund is, is slightly over $80 million, two-thirds of which comes to SFUSD and one-third of which is administered through the first five commission. Uh, and the general theme is that this set of resources really has transformed what education looks like, not to mention early education throughout San Francisco. So especially at a time when districts up and down the state uh, and elsewhere have been cutting investments that have been provided specifically through PEEF. This has not only allowed us to protect critical programs that, uh, that the measure was intended to provide, it's allowed us to expand them. So we're, we're, we, in many respects, stand alone compared to a lot of our counterparts in the state and across the country. So uh, protected funding for sports, libraries, arts and music, physical education, uh, through the third third or the other general uses portion of the fund, we've been able to make critical investments in areas such as credit recovery uh, to help our students uh, meet our more rigorous graduation requirements, to launch uh, a new investment in our science, technology and engineering and math area and to fund learning support, nurses and wellness centers, among other things. And I'll go through a few more in the next few slides. So here are a couple of pictures, just a, a before and after. This is a, what a school library looked like. It's a great photo. An unnamed school library, pre-peeth. And this was used at, not as a library as it was intended, but as a storage area. So, and, and the critical gap was we didn't have staffing for the library, uh, or for most of our libraries, frankly, prior to PEEF. And th these are images of two of our school libraries now, 
and uh, they're beautiful. They're not the only uh, images we have or that we could have shown about school libraries. One statistic is that since PEEF has been implemented, the number of school library books in circulation has about tripled. So really a sea change in terms of the, the access to school libraries and, and the materials. In terms of uh, athletics, so our secondary schools, middle schools, and high schools receive stipends for athletic teams. Uh, those are used for things like school uniform, I'm sorry, athletic team uniforms, equipment, and facilities improvements, uh, including really dramatic improvements to some of our athletic fields and transportation for our student athletes and uh, also providing athletic trainers. In terms of physical education, again, all of our secondary schools receive support, including a per, per student dollar amount. Um, this has been as high as uh, $16. Right now it's $10. We're hoping to get it up to $16 again per student. Uh, that's fund and funding for fitness and sports equipment. And at the elementary level, funding for staff, so um, FTEs of PE teachers as well as equipment. For arts, we have arts teachers in all of our schools, so whether for visual and or performing arts, uh, as well as a per student amount of funding that's uh, prioritized by the school community, $10 each for elementary students and middle school students, and $20 for each high school student for arts, supplies, and materials. Uh, we also provide artists in residence, field trips, and musical instruments and repair of instruments. Again, all of these things at a time when, when most districts were severely cutting their investments in the arts. In terms of learning support, we have uh, throughout our schools additional learning support through nurses, counselors, school social workers, and additional investments in our wellness services. It's hard to imagine what our schools would, how they'd operate without these people with the, without these critical people and they themselves are overextended but 10 years ago they didn't they didn't exist in most of our schools and here are some additional highlights of areas that we've been able to either establish or expand through uh, this is more from the other general uses part of PEEF so translation and interpretation services uh, drastically increased uh, additional funding for peer resources, for restorative practices, which has really blossomed in our district through PEEF, uh, formative assessments, a teacher academy, uh, CTE, as we heard, so and, and the work-based learning, uh, a dedicated coordinator for work-based learning is funded through PEEF, so that's great to connect those two topics. Um, human capital support, and as I mentioned, STEM and uh, credit recovery. So just a couple of comments, and I'll try to speed through this. I know you're all pretty familiar with this. Uh, we have been engaged for many months at, in this renewal process, as the supervisors mentioned, and we are coming up to the time following a, a very extensive stakeholder engagement process and um, also a process to define some of the, the policy themes. Uh, next month will be the time when the supervisors introduce and uh, start deliberating about the um, the actual draft language. Actually, I guess it's the end of this month, but, but, but then into May. And then this is for a November 2014 election day. These are some of the community input findings. Um, just to name a few that are 
parents and youth in the current system, although there are incredible array of services that are out there, uh, there are difficulties and barriers or uh, communication gaps in, in navigating the system or systems. Um, the providers of these services have challenges in aligning their collective efforts. Uh, we have continuing challenges with equity uh, and access to the critically needed services. Uh, we need to improve both our in-school and out-of-school experiences and services. We have to engage the business community. Um, in better and better ways, and we have critical gaps in our programming. So there's a, a picture that's been emerging over these months about uh, how we might do better to, to fill in those gaps. So one is to, to have a better inventory of our services and our needs, uh, to share information across our institutions about uh, which youth and students are accessing services and, and which students and youth could, uh, could do better by having better access to services, uh, better aligned case management and joint accountability. So this, this set of, uh, of thoughts under proposed policy solutions, this, these are really recommendations that have emerged through a joint working group that have been convened by the mayor and the superintendent. And I, I know this is uh, going to continue to be discussed as the supervisors introduce the legislation. So uh, one concept is to renew both the Children's Fund and PEEF as independent separate funds uh, with complementary vision under a single ballot initiative uh, to, to create citywide outcomes that would uh, apply both to the city's efforts and the school district's efforts, establish this council, collaborative council, as Supervisor Yee mentioned, uh, with staff support. That's the, the concept under the collaborative. And then to extend the planning cycles and align them between the city and the district and ensure data sharing uh, and information sharing. So finally, let me just uh, address or mention some of the, the questions that are still being worked out and I think will be addressed in some of the legislation that is introduced next week. Um, and if I may, the Board of Education has also been discussing all of the above, including these issues at, at some length. And uh, on the first two issues, I can say, and uh, I'm sure the commissioners that are on the committee can speak for themselves as well, uh, but the Board of Education has uh, unanimously supported the idea of eliminating from the charter references to in-kind services and the trigger. Um, there are also discussions about the sunset date, uh, so there's uh, pretty much consensus about at least about the concept of extending the authorization to a period uh, quite a bit longer than the 10 years that was originally authorized. And uh, some of our commissioners uh, are in favor of eliminating the sunset. Uh, some are open to having a sunset as long as it's uh, of sufficient length. Um, there are some details to work out about the governance structure, um, the issue of whether these issues will take the form of one ballot uh, initiative or two ballot initiatives, and then uh, finally about the third of the funds that goes for early education. So all of these things are still uh, being fleshed out, and I think that will continue over the next few weeks, and then hopefully... Um, there will be a, a big push to uh, support the measure or measures that appear on the November ballot. No, we thought 18. Thank you. That seems low. Thank you. So um, at this time, I want to open up 
um, for questions or comments. Um, this is a good time for discussion. Um, Super, uh, Deputy Superintendent Lee has brought up a number of kind of outstanding issues that we'll mull over in terms of the actual policy themselves. And if folks want to make any comments on that, uh, Commissioner Wins. Thank you, and thank you for the presentation. I, uh, and, and thank you, Supervisor Kim, for the sort of summary of the history. Um, I just think it's important to understand that the people of San Francisco have supported uh, these kinds of measures, both the Children's Fund and the Public Education Enrichment Fund, as well as many other school funding measures, generously and wisely, in my view, and that we appreciate that and have the responsibility to make sure that we actually do those things that we promise to do when we ask the citizens to fund these, our schools and services for children that they so, uh, that they so much deserve, need, and which really are investments for our future. Um, so I appreciated the highlighting of the program and the, the uh, discussions that are ongoing. I just wanted to, I think it's my responsibility to actually say that um, those things identified in the last slide as the outstanding PEEF issues, the issues of whether or not there should be a trigger, whether that, would, that allows the city to not fully fund it, which is what's happened in recent years, whether or not we should count in-kind services instead of just the financial investments. Uh, what, should there be a sunset date? What kind of governance structure do we need? Should we have one ballot or two? And some of the issues related to preschool, which are uh, because that money is administered by First Five, not our primary responsibility, but one which we certainly have the obligation to uh, weigh in on since we're talking about the preparation of students largely who come to us after their preschool experience. So um, I'm hoping that we will, actually I'm kind of hoping that we'll resolve some of those things with, through the staff discussions before the introduction here, if in fact that's going to happen next week. So uh, I'm kind of interested in just a update on how, whether we think that's possible. Will those things be resolved before there is an introduction of any language? Uh, I think that the Board of Education, I, I'm not speaking for the Board, but just based on our discussion, would be interested in seeing if we can do that as quickly as possible. And, and by saying that I personally, not the Board, but I personally have a concern about one ballot. I don't think we need one ballot initiative. I think we should have two. I think these are two funding issues, very well understood by the voters. We have some recent polling that shows that. And I continue to have some concerns about the proposed governance structure. I think it's hard for us all to understand and that we should, uh, we're going to need to clarify that a lot more before any of us can or should feel comfortable with something that we don't, that is uh, not, that is um, a little bit non-specific, too non-specific for a public governance of these public funds. So those are the concerns that I have, and I appreciate the time and the ability to put those on the record. Thank you. Commissioner Fewer. Thank you, Supervisor Kim. Um, thank you for this presentation, Deputy Superintendent Lee. I, um, I agree that this has been a, um, an a outstanding gift from the city of San Francisco to fund these programs in a time where we had great, great need. And also, and for example, 
in the example of the libraries and of the physical education that we had no librarians in our schools and we also had no elementary PE department at all whatsoever. And so it has completely transformed those two programs and now they are robust and on their way and as you can see from these photographs that actually our libraries are um, in very, very good condition. And not only that, we have weeded out books from the 1950s and we have staffed our libraries with credentialed teachers that also have a library credential. So that is taking really, really a big step um, toward improving the education for our children. In re reference to what Commissioner Wins has mentioned, I think that we as a majority of the board have um, decided that one ballot um, versus two was something that the majority of the board has agreed on. I think that she is absolutely right about finalizing the governance structure and we haven't had actual legislation, written legislation brought before us for approval, but I think that we are narrowing it down. And what the board has said is that they would like it to be um, defined, I think, not so vaguely, but probably more precisely in the legislation about how these two funds will be governed and whose responsibility is to govern what. So I think this, um, you know, ideally the board would not like a sunset date, but is open to a sunset date that is more than the um, 10 or 15 years that it currently has had. So um, we have some things to work out, but actually, we have full agreement that this fund needs to be reauthorized and that it is it has been just a gift to the public school children of San Francisco and so in turn a gift to um, the city of San Francisco too. Um, and thank you Commissioner Kim for taking the lead on this and for, um, for listening to all of our concerns from the school district and for bringing this forward today for the discussion. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, um, so just a, an update of where things are at in terms of the drafting of, of PEEF. Um, currently it is um, drafted as an independent measure um, and it is ready for introduction. Supervisor Yee's office um, led the drafting for the preschool for all or now um, early childhood education for all piece um, with the city attorney's office and we were drafting um, largely a replication of the 2004 ballot measure um, set aside for the school district, um, the two-thirds, the remaining two-thirds. Um, the two, ch uh, two changes that were put in uh, to the draft that we have right now is that we have taken out in-kind services, something that I think has been a source of frustration both for the city and the school district, very ambiguous um, and largely has probably not really fulfilled the objective of, of the initial uh, legislation and we have taken out the trigger. Um, we continue to have a discussion around the sunset date. Um, there are roughly 10 set aside, general fund set asides um, that the city has that we bear and we looked at um, the other set-asides that we have. Um, roughly about half of them have sunset dates, half of them do not. Uh, the half that do, um, I believe three of them had a sunset date of 15 years, two of them had a sunset date of 30 years, um, and obviously PEEF uh, in its first authorization had a sunset date of 10 years. So I know there continues to be a conversation around how many years is appropriate. Um, 
or is no sunset date appropriate? I think we have largely been looking at 15, 30, or none, because those are what the other set-asides have. But I've also heard of ideas like 18 or 21 years really kind of um, to emphasize the, the life of a young person here in San Francisco um, and give, give voters an opportunity to assess whether these dollars have been well spent and, and well governed. Uh, we do continue to have a discussion on the overall governance structure that Supervisor Yee's office is currently working on um, to look at how to uh, make sure that all of our children's fund dollars are really leveraging one another and working um, in alignment and there continues to be a discussion of whether uh, we will have one or two ballot measures, but I know that Supervisor Yee's office, again, is working on the unifying language if we are prepared to make it one. Um, so that's just an update of where things are currently um, in terms of the drafting process. And if there are no further comments, I was going to open up to public comment. So at this time, we will open up for public comment. If you'd like to speak on this item, please do step up. Good afternoon, supervisors and commissioners. My name is Emily Bozentka. I work at Performing Arts Workshop, which is a nonprofit arts education organization that serves about 5,000 youth in San Francisco every year. I'm also here on behalf of the San Francisco Alliance for Arts Education. Um, so we recommend you know, the following changes to the overall legislation in order to move closer to PEEF's original intent and ensure equitable access to critical educational programs for all students in San Francisco. So we support the elimination of the trigger as well as the in-kind agreement and are very happy to hear that that has been um, included in the draft legislation. In terms of the sunset, we do recommend the elimination of it. Currently, PEEF sunsets, as it's been mentioned, every 10 years. Instead, we recommend a review process that includes a public comment process. We believe that support for critical services for children and youth should not have an expiration date. Thank you very much. Hi, I'm Beverly Misslang, also from Performing Arts Workshop and the San Francisco Alliance for Arts Education. Um, and I just want to say that PEEF has created a baseline for sports, arts, music, library, and universal pre-K, but structural elements of the measure have created an environment of instability. For example, the Visual and Performing Arts Workshop program have seen their general fund dollars supplanted by PEEF, which was not PEEF's original intent. So we urge you to not see PEEF as a ceiling for essential programs such as art. Um, the Visual and Performing Arts Department at SFUSD is now wholly funded through PEEF, which is making it really difficult to provide um, quality instruction in the four arts disciplines. Um, and the recommendations that my colleague has proposed will create an environment conducive to thoughtful long-term planning for both SFUSD and city government. Um, and like someone said earlier, um, you know, it will create equitable access to these critical educational programs for San Francisco students. Thank you for your time. Are there any other um, members of the public that would like to speak on this item? Seeing none, public comment is closed. I uh, want to thank members of the public that came out today. I, I did have a question, though, on the last comment that was made, and I don't know if this uh, would be uh, directed to Ms. Fleming or to Mr. Lee, but about um, how PEEF is now the sole source of funding for all arts curriculum in SFUSD, if that could be addressed. That's not my understanding, but 
Um, I know that PIF augments uh, dollars dedicated for the arts, but it's not my understanding that PIF is the only funding source for arts curriculum in SFUSD. Uh, well, th there is one additional uh, set of resources, and that's for the elementary arts and elementary music program. And I believe together that represents about a million and a quarter of funding that still exists. And uh, to be fair, that those resources are uh, originate from the city as well, from DCYF. But they have not been diminished, and they are still in place. So I think that's you know definitely worth noting. Um, the, as far as general fund support, general fund support has, has always been pretty minimal, um, at least the time that I've been with the district. And uh, there was, for a couple of years, there was a, a state categorical program that was uh, specifically directed to uh, arts and music. That was, uh, I think that was in place beginning in 2006 or 2007 or something uh, around then. That was, of course, prior to the recession that took place. And in, in that state recession context, the state allowed districts to um, repurpose many, many categorical programs, including that, that uh, one-time uh, arts funding. And as most districts did, we had to uh, repurpose those funds in order to make our our uh, books balanced and avoid layoffs and you know gloom and doom and everything else. So so it is true that there were uh, for a limited number maybe two years there was some dedicated funding from the state that was provided and that is not uh, available anymore. But uh, the the long history of general fund support has been very very small and um, and the DCYF funds for the elementary arts and music program has has never been diminished. Thank you. Right. Commissioner Wins and then Supervisor uh, Yee. I just wanted to sort of respond to that a little bit. I just think the supplanting language is archaic and not uh, applicable anymore because instead of saying, okay, we're going to allocate a few art teachers to high schools or however we are to middle schools, instead, just as the state has now, and Deputy Superintendent Lee referred to, uh, put all the money into the local control funding formula and districts, we have more control over how we spend it. We, as you know, we've done the same thing for our schools through the weighted student formula. So we put all of that money, admittedly cut, slashed in recent years that nobody wanted to do, which is when the state was slashing our funding. Still, all the money that used to be allocated for certain teachers has gone into the weighted student formula and teachers, to, school site councils decide and schools decide how they're going to spend that money. So. You know, we, that's the kind of tough part about local control, whether it's at the school or at the district. If you give power to people to spend the money the way that they think is best because they're closest to the program, then you have to support their decisions, whether they're the ones you might make or not. So that's the, my answer to that. Supervisor Yee. Um, yeah, I, I, it's, I, it seems unfair to say that PEEF money is only money that funds uh, our arts and, and, and so forth because if you look, we, we take out the regular, uh, we, I mean, this school board takes out a regular budget. I mean, uh, when soda, for instance, is not fund, funded by, by PEEF, I mean, all those teachers are funded by regular uh, budget. 
and um, I believe in some of the high schools, um, there still existed art classes and maybe even mu music classes that was funded by regular uh, education funds. So, so I, I, we shouldn't go around saying that PEEF is the only f uh, funding source for art and, and music when, when indeed uh, a big part of the it was a part of the budget for the, the regular budget actually supports some some of the uh, the teachers and so forth. Thank you. Okay. Well, thank you for everyone for participating in this conversation. Um, clearly, there are more discussions than just here um, in board chambers on uh, this item. And I know there will be a continued discussion along with the Children's Fund as well. Still many open questions on the policy, uh, overall policy, but I think that we've come a long way. And I do want to recognize um, a lot of stakeholders in this room that have been involved actually since the first authorization of PEEF back in 2003 and 2004 um, that have been really working on this for over 12 years. Really excited to um, bring this back to the voters in November and um, look forward to its passage. Are there any other announcements, Madam Clerk? Uh, on, the, on the items, um, you want to file away or bring them back to the call of the chair? Is there a motion on the table, either a motion to continue to the call of the chair or a motion to file? Motion to uh, for which? call the chair. For the, I'm sorry, for P. For item number two. Okay. So uh, mm -hmm. uh, Supervisor Yee has made a motion to continue to the call of the chair. This item. And on this item, we can do that without opposition. I realize we didn't take a motion on item number one. Can we still take that motion I think so. now? Yes, we're still in the meeting. Um, can we take a motion to file item number one? We have a motion to file item number one. We can do that without opposition. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Are there any Thank other announcements? No, that's it, Commissioner. Seeing none, meeting is adjourned.